to uh, on um, some scriptures together. I just couldn't let Ephesians go. I'm sorry. Um, we did come to an end last week, but I, I've kind of um, just felt I'd like to, to kind of do one more kind of go at uh, bringing some kind of conclusion. And so we're going to read just the final verse of uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24, uh, this morning. So not a long reading. There it is. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray together. Thank you for the the Bible, Lord. Thank you that we have the privilege of having the Bible in our hands. We can read it whenever we want. We don't have anyone banning it here. We won't be arrested if we own a Bible, as some people are in our world. And we pray that we won't take it for granted, Lord, that we have your word. And we thank you that your word is powerful And when it's spoken out, it accomplishes all that you've planned and purposed for it. So as we think about not just this verse, but um, the themes that we've been covering through this series in Ephesians, would you help us to grow in our faith? In Jesus' name, amen. Do you ever wish you could learn things quicker? I, kn- I know that there are some amongst us who, you know, you can pick up a language like that. Or you can learn a musical instrument like that. But for most of us, it takes a bit of time. I'd love to be able to learn how to play the guitar in a minute. In fact, I started to learn French um, partly because we love going on holiday in France and uh, I wanted to learn how to order the coffee how I liked it and uh, I came across this video which said minimum effort, maximum results and I felt like complaining because I'd put the minimum effort into it and I didn't see the maximum results that were promised me. But I'm not really talking about those things about learning. I'm talking this morning about spiritual growth, about discipleship, about becoming more like Jesus every day. It's not something we tend to learn really quickly, is it? Eugene Peterson wrote a great book on discipleship. If you've not read it, I recommend it to you. A long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes we more liken our spiritual growth to uh, snakes and ladders. Remember that? You make progress and suddenly you slip down again. You make progress. Paul reminded us in the letter to the Ephesians that we've been looking at over the past weeks that discipleship is a spiritual battle. We are opposed. Jesus has an enemy. Jesus is opposed. And those who follow him will be opposed. And, and even that battle to become a follower of Jesus, because the enemy doesn't want anyone to become a follower of Jesus. He wants to blow us off course, knock us off our feet spiritually. 
Also, discipleship and becoming more like Jesus is, is kind of counterintuitive at times. When Jesus says, don't worry, and we go, all right, I'm never going to worry again. We just call it prayerful concern. How many of us find we find ourselves worrying? Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. But our instinct is to retaliate. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, bless those who persecute us, but that's not our instinct. That is something that comes with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Jesus calls us to carry our cross, to die to ourselves, but I would prefer an easier route. That's my default setting. I'd prefer an easier route than this. Yes, I do want to be more like Jesus. I want to be the person Jesus made me to be. But it's not always easy. And if you've got it all sussed, see me at the door afterwards. I'd love to hear how you do that. We need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And as Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, he says this, Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus with an undying love. And um, as we came to the end of the series last week, and I was just pondering this last verse as, as Edward, he did a great job in bringing that to a conclusion. I just was struck by this last verse. Do I love Jesus with an undying love? And what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us? Paul's overriding concern, if you see the big picture, not only of Ephesians, but others of his letters, is that those who follow Jesus will not abandon their love for Jesus, but will become more like Jesus. That's Paul's concern for himself as too, evidenced in his letters. If you read from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. Can we have that reading up? Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Overriding all of Paul's life is this desire now to press on, to take hold of all that Christ Jesus took hold of him for. And he admits he hasn't taken hold of it yet. Elsewhere in Romans 7, if you, if you read through Romans, he, rec- he admits he's not the finished article yet. He has struggles. Struggles with when things in the past, struggles with the present. He, has, he, he admits things that I want to do, I don't do. 
And what I don't want to do, I do. You ever felt like that? What the wretched man I am, he says, but thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he gloriously goes on, chapter 8, now there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't link the two. We think sometimes that we are wretched. We failed again, but we don't go on and say, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We want to love Christ with an undying love. We don't always get it right, but we want to. Thankfully, we don't have to be perfect to, to be used by God. Wouldn't that be terrible if you had to be perfect to be used by God? You had to be perfect to do God's will. We, none of us would do anything. Again, in Corinthians, Paul says we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. One of our friends, Ron Boyd McMillan, who's come and preached a few times here, uh, brilliant writer if you want to read his books, um, they're fantastic. He writes about the temptation to put the persecuted church on a pedestal. Because they are amazing. Whenever I've traveled and met persecuted believers, it fills me with awe of how courageous and strong they are. But they're not perfect. They struggle with the same things that we struggle with. They're not superhumans. They're just like us, flawed human beings who can be rude, prejudiced, have their own blind spots. He tells of the story of a revival leader in China. This uh, particular pastor has seen over 50,000 people come to know the Lord in the last 10 years. That's incredible. And he uh, met with him and um, with some folks. And to his amazement, it, it, it emerged that this pastor believed that you could only come to faith on a Sunday. That there was only that dispensation from God that he would hear prayers of repentance on a Sunday. And Ron was quietly thinking, well, how many would have come to the Lord if he... <laughs> and he... And he debated with him. And the pastor threw him and his friend out. Because he had learned somewhere along the line that that was the case. Now, we would know that there are seven days that people can get saved in but. This guy didn't. He had a flaw. He had a weak spot. God moved in incredible ways. Ron later heard that he had extended the time of repentance to Saturdays as well. Brilliant, isn't that? <laughs> I've been reading about uh, Helen uh, Burhain. I don't know how to pronounce her surname, but she's a wonderful believer from Eritrea. She was uh, held in captivity in one of those ship containers uh, for years. A great advert. She writes songs, uh, worship songs. Uh, but she tells of um, times within the prison, uh, in the sort of containers, when there would be groups of Christians together. And you'd think, oh, brilliant, get all the Christians together and we'd pray. And she said it was real struggle at times because they were all from different denominations. And they would argue about theology in the prison, in the container. And she would have to say, come on, guys, we, you know, there are bigger things going on than you know, our difference on the millennium. God can work through us despite our weaknesses. 
our eccentricities. If we offer ourselves to God, he will use us. That's why I'm so glad that we have Paul's letters preserved for us. Imagine if we hadn't got Paul's letters to read. We'd have assumed that the Apostle Paul was a superhuman, a super Christian. Brilliant to admire from a distance, but not someone we could relate to or imitate. As he pleads with the Galatians in chapter 4, My children, dear children, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's desperate to see Christ formed in people. God used this man in extraordinary ways. When he and Barnabas visited Galatia in about AD 48, they planted four churches in as many months. He moved on to Philippi in AD 50, around about, and in Acts 16 it says he stayed there several days and he established a vibrant church in the city. We know how difficult it is to plant churches. We've planted two churches in 20 years. Paul stayed longer in Ephesus, of course. On arrival, he found a dozen or so confused believers in the city, but it grew into a church of radical believers. Those who had been saved from the occult took all their scrolls and burnt them publicly in squares. Incredible. So judged on those things, if we were to think about Paul, we'd think that he was a superhuman Christian. But we have his letters where we can see he was just like us. But he had his longing in his heart to be more like the Savior. Otherwise, we'd have put him on a pedestal, wouldn't we? The Apostle Paul. We'd have named churches after him and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, we did. (laughs) I wonder what he thinks about that. No, I do understand why we do it. Paul knows it's not about him. That's the one thing that comes through all of his letters. He knows it's not about him. It's about Jesus. That's why he tells the Philippians, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things in my strength. No, no, no. I can do all things in him, through him who strengthens me. And that's why Paul wrote the letters to teach those believers that he had been in pastoral oversight or planted churches or heard about their faith so that they could follow his example. He wrote to show us what it means for us to have God on the inside. It's not about striving in our own strength, but asking God to work in us. Following Jesus, having faith in him, means inviting him in our lives to do what he wants to do. And it won't be instant. There'll be some things, yeah, but it's a long obedience in the same direction. So the bigger picture of Ephesians is that the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside. That's the theme of his letters in Galatians, Colossians, Philippians. God on the inside. He makes us free on the inside. He makes us strong on the inside. He makes us joyful on the inside. That's why we need to go on being filled. 
So he closes his letter to the Ephesians with this phrase, grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Why is it so poignant? It's because writing to the church in Ephesus, this amazing church that had seen extraordinary miracles, that had grown in extraordinary ways. If you read another letter written years later to this same church in Ephesus, you'll find it in Revelation chapter 2. Verse 4, you've forsaken your first love. And that letter comes through a revelation to John by the Holy Spirit. And that's why it struck me that Paul had written this last note to the church. Love Jesus with an undying love. Yet that church, this brilliant church, this wonderful church, had somehow lost its love for Jesus. It happens. Now they're commended for their good deeds, their hard work, their perseverance. They didn't tolerate wickedness. They had endured hardships. But they'd fallen out of love with Jesus. And I just found that incredibly sad. How could you fall out of love with Jesus? Forsaken their first love. And there's a call to repent. Come back. To love the Lord with an undying love. Just an example, Leah, 14-year-old girl, has expressed that love. So we need to keep our hearts guarded, don't we? Because the enemy would love us to fall out of love with Jesus. He would love us as a church to fall out of love with Jesus, that we get sidetracked somehow. But we don't want that to happen. We won't let it happen. That's all of our responsibilities. No, we're not the finished articles. No, we're all full of weaknesses and flaws and whatever. But we will not stop loving Jesus with an undying love. He has to be the center of all we are, all we do. That's the hallmark that we want printed on us as Camden Baptist Church. We love Christ with an undying love. If you know people who are struggling with that, pray for them. That's that's probably the best thing you can do is pray for them. They're falling out of love with Jesus. We want to be like Paul. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to press in and take hold of all that for which Christ Jesus took hold of us. And so we have this encouragement by Paul as he closes this letter. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray together. I'll Sally and the band to come back. 